It was the late 1800s, give or take a million years, and it was a balmy day in Josh's left ear. I had just come across a mechanic I'd never seen before, and I needed to call in help. My partner's name is Joshua Always Sunny Noise. The game is Duskers. My name is Luke. I'm a podcaster. I host this. Hey everybody, this is Spitball Jam Sessions Episode 3. Today we're going to be talking about Duskers, as I've already mentioned. I uh, I found out about this game from a friend of mine. Who told you about Duskers? You did. Oh, did I? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Duskers is an exploration survival roguelike kind of game, I guess. Yeah. I would say I would say it's an an, an exploration based game. It's it's it, in some ways it it's a lot like um, oh shoot now I'm drawing a blank. FTL. It's like FTL. It's like FTL. It's also like uh, in terms of actual gameplay. There there was a specific game that I was thinking of that I cannot recall off the top of my head. Uh, but basically, you are. Um, it, it has a little bit in common with like some of the Zactronic games. Yeah, it definitely has that programming aspect where uh, you can send commands to the drones that you control in the game. Yeah, why don't you, why don't you give a little bit of a, a, a rough? Oh, it's it's similar in a lot of ways to Cogmind, I would say. Yeah, in the styling and the theming of the game, definitely. So, um, the game itself to start out with the basic description it it is a indie roguelike strategy game. Um, it's played uh, by remotely controlling drones as you go out to explore derelict ships that you find in space. As you explore these ships, you download data files that explain what's going on. And there is a, a rather elaborate backstory that uh, is revealed procedurally as, as you play the game. The more times you play the game, the more you reveal about what's going on in the universe. The game itself, as you play, you're also looking for resources to maintain your ship and to keep going. You need the uh, discrete resources like fuel and scrap to maintain your drones and your ship and to travel to the next region. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Uh, so the, the game I was thinking of is a Cryptarch, Cryptarch, which is sort of a twin-stick shooter version of this. Uh, one of the things that I find really interesting about this game is that it is... There's this weird jump between sort of two perspectives where in, in one perspective you are looking at uh, – you are basically running off of a, a, a pseudo – let's say pseudo Unix terminal or a pseudo DOS terminal where you are giving control to these drones. And then you have another perspective where you can directly control one drone and sort of drive it around. Uh, yes. And you're sort of flipping between these two points of view to do different things because you can't you usually have three or four drones under your control, sometimes five. Yeah, and you can only directly drive one of them. The others right. only function if you give them a command to do. 
Yes. And you can switch between them, but... You can switch between them, but at any time you can direct any of the four drones to do something specific yeah. um, outside of directly controlling them. So to be the most efficient in this game, and efficiency is one of the best ways to survive in this game, you can direct your other drones to go do certain tasks as you further explore or do specific things with one drone. Right, and each drone sort of has its own special abilities, which is like one of them can drag things, uh, and one of them could control power, um, and e each one has their own sort of abilities, so you kind of want to keep all of them alive as long as you can. All of those abilities are actually modular. Yes, you can switch them out. A drones have slots that can be filled, so um, even if a drone is destroyed, you can actually pull the mod out of the drone and slot it into your current drone and as you explore you'll also come across other drones that have either been damaged or destroyed and they usually have goodies in them that can expand your your current drone's functionality i feel like we are doing a terrible job at explaining what this game actually is and i think to some extent that is part of the thing that makes duskers interesting is it's not really easy to be explained in one quick sort of succession it's definitely a unique set of mechanics that they put together. There are certainly aspects of it that are like it has the overarching world map that you travel from one location to another to advance and you're, you have limited fuel and your need to maintain your ship requires you to, to advance. And in a lot of ways that is like FTL where if you try to stay in one region, you will run out of fuel and you will uh not advance the game and you'll eventually have to either give up or, or you will die in a lot of ways it reminds me of the earlier of, of the pre-prison arch a combination of the three pre-prison architect uh introversion games which is darwinia um uplink and defcon where you have this sort of fog of war about everything you do, much like in DEF CON, you are running a programming terminal like in Uplink, and you have this weird map perspective that where you can't actually see everything that's going around on, even if you're controlling one of the drones. You have this very limited perspective, and the viewing that you're viewing everything through is really weird and wonky, much like Darwinia. Yeah, and I'd like to I'd like to actually go into detail about that particular aspect. The overlay? The overlay, the way that the entire game is presented as if you are like ensconced in this control room in the middle of your ship. Yeah. You never have direct contact with your drones. You never have direct contact with anything um beyond what you see in your screen. And mm -hmm. environmentally and and in a in a way that kind of like draws you into the world because you can feel like you're just you're inside the ship. And I think one of the most satisfying things, one of the most enjoyable things about playing this game is is late at night, turning off all your lights, and just having your screen <laughs> and having the ambient sounds of things happening around you. It really feels like you are docked to this derelict ship. Who, which has who knows what kind of evils lurking inside it. Yep. And you're not going in there yourself. You're sending in little drones and hoping that you won't see something truly horrible before the drone dies. Well, there, there's several really interesting things. And, and maybe this is sort of the mechanic that we can, we can talk, we can sort of center some of this around. Yes. There is like three levels of disconnect from what is going on. 
And that really makes the game feel super claustrophobic in a way that really shouldn't because you have, you have imperfect information, but at any given time you are extremely distant from whatever's going on. Like you are not there. You are several levels offset. And yet it is one of the most claustrophobic games I have ever played. Like right up there with Subnautica, which I think anybody who's played Subnautica understands how intense that game is. This is right up there. Absolutely. Because you you get the sensation that you, you yourself can't do anything. You can't move. The, 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 the best thing you can do to survive is to just undock from the ship Cut your losses, which means losing drones usually, and leaving. But as long as you're attached to that ship, you feel like it's real and that you're actually connected to this ship in a way. It's definitely like – I almost want to say existential in that whole idea of being like – of the lone squishy being in the center of a ship. And you're not even sure if the extensive – protection that you have that being in the middle of a ship with no direct contact with what you're interacting with is really going to protect your character when you say that it actually reminds me a lot of listening to people talk about the old game combat mission which was a semi turn-based semi real-time game in the same way that this is a semi first person semi third person game mm-hmm. combat mission is a game where you would t- give your you were um basically controlling a a battalion in, in various world war two battles. And you could tell your troops like the game played out over like five minute bursts. So you would tell your troops what to do for the next five minutes. But then once you set them on the kind of like frozen synapse too, once you set them on that course, there was nothing you could do to stop them. Oh yeah. So if they got fired upon, they were going to get fired upon for the next three minutes and there was nothing you can do about it except watch and just your heart sinks. And I think that, you sort of get to that when you were talking about that sort of feeling of, of existential crisis there of you can't do anything if you run into a lot of these situations. Things move very quickly in this game and you have very slow methods of control. And the drones move slowly. Yeah, and, and that's definitely a thing. You have such a limited control set that like it should be clear what you need to do next and, and you shouldn't have too much difficult difficulty carrying out whatever step will be best. But there are often times where you're just sit, sitting there frozen wondering, okay, what do I need to do next? Because if you do the wrong thing, you input the wrong command, you it can be devastating to your drones. And there are cases where you just can't react fast enough to what's going yeah. on. Yeah, because it is a very slow interface. And sometimes the situation can be such that doing anything at all can be fatal. Uh, I, I do know that there's one instance with a threat that it responds to movement. And I didn't know that. Yeah. And I, as soon as I opened the door, one of my drones was immediately destroyed. And as soon as the drone is destroyed, your feet of that location is gone. You have no way of looking at that spot. So I had no info. I turned another drone to face that direction and it cut out. Yeah, that's a that's the turrets, right? Uh, no, actually, it was one of the one of the things that you can come across later in the game. I don't really want to spoil it. Yeah, I was gonna say we shouldn't spoil too much too much of the later game stuff. I actually have never made it that far. I always wind up dying pretty quickly. One of the other things that I think, and if you go to the Steam page, it's one of the first things you will see in screenshots. You don't have even when you were controlling a drone, you don't have. They're built like, like modern day drones. You don't have full vision, even when you're 
it's a 3D top-down view, and you don't have full vision. You can only see what is either directly in front of them or a few of them have radar and can see in an area around them. Yeah, what's more, their views are actually dependent on the style of sensors that they have. Some of them have super accurate, exactly. nice, fine control. They're all more like radar, lighter type things. And and the map that you see is from their perspective, it's usually like a light map of where their sensors pick up a surface or something like that. And in that regard, I think the, the aesthetics are really cool. But some of them have really nice, precise sensors. Some of them have bad ones. And some of the more terrifying stuff is when you yeah. have faulty sensors on a drone and they're like cutting out randomly or the colors change. Uh, there's even a command to degauss your sensors. Uh, yeah. I love that. so um, late 90s. <laughs> I was going to say, you you are it, – it is the weirdest – it is the weirdest combination of of future tech and like late nineties interface and controls and yeah, like the Degasi. Like it, this game more than just about any other game that I have played feels like that, aliens. Yes. Like it reminds me of of aliens with that weird like futuristic but very nineties tech or or very eighties tech. Like they don't understand like computer like. This is a world in which Apple never Yeah, where, where the idea of an advanced interface has never really come to fruit. Absolutely agree. Yes. Let's talk about an aspect of the gameplay, which is beyond the direct control, just the idea of like exploring the ships is a chess game. Very much so. Where you have tools at your disposal, especially starting out, that allow you to scan ships to detect threats so that you can see adjacent rooms, whether or not there's something dangerous in them. Um, but after a while, those scanners stop being useful to you. And you have to have been like playing enough to pick up on the warning signs of some of the other threats. Oh, I didn't even know that. I don't think I even yeah, gotten that far. Apparently, the, the, the programmers have put in that there are indications that you can pick up from sounds from things oh, yeah. on the ground and other other stuff that will give you evidence as to whether or not the next room is safe. Usually it's it's acoustical. Jeez. So and it, it's dependent on also the threat that you're going to face. So they start out fairly early. You can go into the first room in any derelict ship and it's going to be safe. But beyond yep. that, especially as you go further along, there it gets more and more dangerous and you have to be picking up the clues that they're setting down to to survive and not and to keep your losses to a minimum and, and one of the things that you point out is much like uh, FTL or um, there's another game Omega something uh, this is a game about entropy this is a game about yeah you are slowly being bled and like so like you said like there are times where you should where the smart move is to cut your losses and just get out but every time you move you burn fuel and you only have a limited amount of fuel you only have a limited amount of energy you only have a limited amount of credits and those yeah. go down real quick there's two types of fuel in the game uh there is jump fuel and then there's thrust fuel and one of the things that i kind of liked and and it it makes sense in the thing is when you activate your drive it refills your conventional fuel yeah. Which, but you also have a limited amount of jump fuel. When you've exhausted your regular fuel, you can hit the jump button, jump to the next sector, and have the ability to keep exploring. But it also it, it puts you in a, an interesting position where if you don't get 
conventional fuel, it's going to curtail how many ships you can explore. Absolutely. Um, actually, and a lot of games are doing that sort of really interesting countdown balance now. I mean, we, we, we just mentioned uh, FTL. Uh, one Deck Dungeon is one that does it really well, and I, I, I know your wife has played that. One I don't Deck know if Dungeon, you yes, I've played it several times. Yeah, that yeah. whole idea of, of, of finding creative and interesting ways to curtail how long you stay in a location. Um, I think that's a really good at it because, like, a lot of people hate the food clock in roguelikes, but I think this is a really yeah, good actually, balance. Yeah, actually, I'm on the same page. One of the things that annoys me, uh, annoyed me about Bad North to a small extent, and it, it annoys me in FTL mm-hmm. is that whole Everspace, I believe, does a similar thing. If you stay in a region long yeah. enough, it just enemies appear and, and bad things happen. And FTL yeah. does it and Bad North do it where, like, you're in a section and you can travel between the places so many times and then a death wall falls behind you. And I don't always yes. like that. I'm also reminded of um, – XCOM 2 does it. Spelunky does with it. The with the yeah, ghosts. Yeah, but that's the, the entire thing. There's always something that tries to push you forward. And I, I, actually, I want to ask you about that. What? How do you think – um, how often do you think that's used well? How often do you think it's it's used and it shouldn't be? I, I was actually watching a, a game design um, video about that the other day, games via Game Designer's Toolkit, and they actually contrasted uh, XCOM 2 and Spelunky. And he made the point, and I agree with him, that I think, I think the ghost in Spelunky is the right mm-hmm. way to do it. And I think things like food clocks and timers. Not quite. Sometimes can not, be good. Not quite as what? good. Like you said, sometimes it can be good, but not always. Sometimes they can be good if if they feel like here's what I think and I and, I, and why I think things like one deck dungeon and FTL or uh, not FTL uh, Duskers do it right is the player should have the opportunity to make a risk or reward decision uh, and Splunky is is a very similar thing like the ghost mm-hmm. is a punishment but it is not a hard and fast punishment like you can you can survive if you if the ghost appears you can still get out yeah you can avoid it there there are tricks that you can use. Right. And in FTL, it is a punishment. It is a light enough punishment that if you know what you're doing and you're good at the game, you could probably survive one round of a wave. If it's more than that, you're you're yeah. pretty much in trouble. And I think the food, food clock in roguelikes is the same way. It's like if you don't get food, you die. It's a very harsh punishment to keep you from power leveling. And in that way, it makes sense, but it's a little too harsh. And I think FTL is – FTL is for me is just yeah. over that line – but anything harsher than that is definitely too far. Yeah, food clocks are an odd one. I, I've often th- and bad north, you, bad north, you will, I believe, just die. So that one, that I think one's is definitely is too, too harsh. harsh. Like I, I think, I think it should be, it should be something where the player knows in advance what they are risking yeah. by making that. I was choice. thinking about the whole food clock thing as well for like uh, roguelex. I like the concept of that, like that that idea that you're down in this dungeon and you have to eat. It makes sense, but I often find mm-hmm. that they they go. They go too fast sometimes. It, it's so easy to do it wrong. It is. Adom did it really well, though. Yeah, Adom does it well. I was also thinking DCSS does it reasonably well. It's not too – it used to be bad, but they've actually toned it back so you don't have to wait as long. Uh, it doesn't It doesn't burn calories as fast. Or, or, or sorry, not not uh, not Adom. Tales of Magile does it well because they don't have a food clock, but what they do have is a finite number – of enemies, and as you scale up, uh, enemies give you less experience. Ah. So there are zones that are that, that give you better experience, and there's a so, finite number of it, or, so or there's an almost what finite happens number of enemies. Is it's not even a, a finite; it's just the monster spawns in that floor will give you diminishing return. So you're encouraged to move on to newer things rather than correct, which is actually a good idea. 
Mo most areas are finite. There are a couple of bosses who will spawn enemies infinitely, but also they spawn on enemies infinitely. That also has an interesting logic to it as well, because you can almost think of that as like you're getting bored with this region and you're ready to move on. You're not getting as much out exactly. of the stuff because you see it all the time and, and you're not learning anything from these enemies. Exactly. It's it's a really... I, I mean, we, we've said before, I think, I think Tales of Magell is a very modern, has a lot of things you can learn from it. And I think Duskers as well has a lot of things about, in terms, in terms of things like risk and reward, I think Dusker, Duskers does it well. And, and I think, you know, we, we've talked about it before, but risk and reward should always be, it's, it's a lot like randomness. Players should know what the risks are before yeah. they make a choice. So, uh, moving on to another detail, um, what about the story in this game? Um, I, I find that the story is actually really complex and interesting. And I love the fact that you actually have to dock with ships and you have a chance when you dock with a ship of downloading logs. But for whatever reason, part of this gigantic intergalactic catastrophe that's happened has left most of these ships like badly damaged in the database realm yeah. so you'll come uh, across the ship and it'll have fragments of conversations um whatever was stored on the ships at the time that everything went down because there there used to be a um a big intergalactic communications network as far as i can see and they were able to interact from ship to ship without problems but that went down and so whatever was on the ships at that time before it was sent is that all that's left? And usually it's fragmented but i actually have, have speculated on it not not even that it's a global communication network so much as it is an old school like bbs direct communication style thing where where it's not a global network of everybody being able to talk at any one time it's that one ship can directly communicate with another ship at that time but not yeah, all like ships a, at a, once. a ship can send packets to one ship or another yeah which is actually how real ships work uh, my, my uncle actually works on a uh, has been an engineer on on uh ocean liner or ocean tankers for like 30 years. And that's basically how it worked or used to work nowadays, obviously with cell phones, it's changed a bit, but for, for many, many years, that's basically how it works is you can make direct calls and yeah. pretty much nothing else. Um, well, so one, so one thing that I'm not a hundred percent sure of, I've seen speculation on um, about it on places like TV tropes is that each run has a different story. Um, and a different catastrophe about what caused the world That'd to explode. So that's the one thing I'm not 100% um, sure of. That also – I do find that more enticing because every time you play, um, it, you can – you have a completely different experience. On the downside, because it is a hardcore style game where when you die, you die. You don't get to pick right up. Yeah. It also means that whatever was happening in the world that you just visited – for however short a time that is, you'll you'll you won't know unless you happen upon that same story arc in the future. Well, something I put into my notes, which I think is is really an interesting question, is assuming that TV tropes is right. Does that mean that each run is a, is is basically a different universe that we're coming we're coming across, or each one is a different reason why it collapsed, or is it just that each time we have a run, we've come across? People that have different, I mean, because nobody has, nobody clearly has the whole story. So is it possible that we're just coming across different points of view and that they, nobody actually is 100% sure about what happened? From my experience playing the game, I feel like it's different point of views because all the different ships, like, because the ships are, are classified and they're come from different uh, owning companies. There's a lot of big companies out there. There's mm -hmm. like uh, 
a science group and there's like a military application and research. There's military ships. There's personally owned. And they're yep. all there and they all are are ex- uh, usually responding to similar uh, or, or unique differences like the biotech people are dealing with a biotech related issue and then the military people are dealing with major infections of software, stuff like that. So it seems like it was a number of, of different problems happening at the same time. That was the experience I got from my playthroughs. See, see, I really like that because then that means that all of these things are partially true and all of them are partially untrue, which means that it is a cohesive story. You're just never getting all of it at once. And I'm trying to remember – I felt like um, I was actually retaining some of that story information from one playthrough to the next. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, I think so. And I I don't think any of it directly contradicts. Okay. Like, I don't think they ever said, oh, yeah, we were invaded by aliens and it definitely, definitely, definitely wasn't a biotech virus Mm -hmm. or anything like that. I, I think, like, people just have, oh, this is what we saw or this is what we saw. And I think there are definitely two or three things that are two or three definite catastrophes yeah. that happen. I I think aliens, aliens. is one. Um, and I, I have speculated on some sort of either event horizon or virus that took over uh, a bunch definitely, of drones. Yeah, definitely some sort of um, digital infection and definitely some sort of biotech yeah. catastrophe as well. Yeah, I think I haven't come across as many of those. I tend to... It's kind of like, um, uh, it makes me think of Cataclysm DDA and that respect was like, oh, yes. you know, if everything, if bad things are going to happen, bad things are going to happen in every possible way. It's almost like a... Yeah, we're not only going to have zombies, we're going to have Migos and yeah. It, it's like space apocalypse. It's 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 not just like a, some corner of space that's failed. It's like... Everything everywhere has exploded all at once. Yeah. Also, I like that you can just vent things out of airlocks. Yeah. Although, um, yeah, your drones don't hang on to anything, so they go out too. No, I know. You have you have to use it carefully. Yeah. Also, anything that's in that room goes out, so you lose potentially valuable things. But since some enemies uh, – spoiler alert – since some enemies can break through doors um, – Sometimes it's a good way to contain, you know, you can't just lock them in there and then go into the next room necessarily. Yeah, not necessarily. Um, Also, I noted that the age of the ship and its current condition can be crucial because um, there's always a chance of failures of doors, which usually result in the door being locked in whatever state it's in. And that's especially necessary for airlocks because if an airlock fails, it can it can fail locked. Sometimes that means that the structure of the airlock gives and then blows out and then bad things happen. Yes. And also, am I remembering this? Am I getting this one mixed up with Cryptarch or can you steal ships if you clear them out? Uh, yes, you can. You can claim a ship if you clear it out. So I do believe there is a life expectancy of your ship and your yeah. ship is also has so much capacity. There's so many slots for ship type mods that change the functionality of your ship and every ship has those. So you can actually find a better ship or hope to. Yeah, I was gonna say, and and it's also falling apart. So you kind of need. It is a not only is it a is it a tactical is it a tactical strategy game in the in the ship parts. It's also a weird sort of management style game in the outer parts because you never have enough resources. No, and you have to prioritize at all times. Like, am I going to repair my drones, or am I going to repair my ship, or am I going to? Do you, do you know? Um, going back to like a spitballing idea. Do you know what would make this? game a little bit cooler just a little bit 
Imagine having this game, but instead of like playing it on your monitor like you do with like your screen, imagine if you were actually playing it. This could even be a VR thing. You, um, what's I was gonna say, I think they're actually talking Fosbear? about making what, what, a VR. Fosbear is in what game? Fosbear, Fosbear, the, the animatronics that eat people. Oh, uh, Five Nights at Freddy's. You know how in Five Nights at Freddy's you have your screen where you're actually looking at security cameras and then you can look to the left and the right to look at the doors and seal the doors to keep them from yeah. eating you alive? Imagine having like an entire VR environment where you're in the bridge of your yeah. ship and you can actually look out your front windows and see like w- depending on where you're docked on the ship, you could see like the side of the, the ship. Yeah, yeah and, totally. And you're looking at monitors and you can like go in and type in stuff and and stuff like that but have it being like more like first person from the inside of that ship so that you have more interaction with the ship i think that would be much more immersive i think that would be kind of cool a lot a lot of people actually on uh, reddit have said that they would really love to um immersify this would game really like a vr support for dusk and i i of all of the games that i think would work Oh, actually, the developer himself has said, I joked around that this would be the VR version of the game. Um, <laughs> it would be kind of brilliant and ridiculous. I, I think it actually would um, – Quadrilateral Cowboy is is a, is essentially a VR version of, of programming. I think it would work. I think it would and, – and I, you know, I've said before, I'm not a huge fan of the VR concept, but I think this is a game that would absolutely be – I don't know about improved, but definitely given a different view by doing this. Yeah. I think one of the great things, the thing that I enjoyed about it is that feeling of being alone on a ship remotely deploying these drones and like expanding that immersion, that feeling to me could only make things better. I was going to say, it would make it like, it would give you like a fourth level of claustrophobia. Yeah. Sounds amazing. So that's the one thing that I, I think – I don't know if we're getting close to wrapping up, but I think that's the one last thing that we should talk about because you and I have had a little bit of disagreement about whether or not this is a horror game. Yeah. So I guess – okay. So so my take on this is rather specific. I tend to view horror and suspense as two different things. Okay. I'll, I'll agree with you on that. I might be willing to say as a subcategory of horror – it, it falls under suspense. So if, if you feel that way as a listener, that suspense is a type of horror, then yes, I, I will agree with you. This is a okay. horror game, but it is primarily suspense. It lacks certain things that I feel like a general horror game. It doesn't have viscerality. It doesn't have human um, grossness. It doesn't have gore. Well, I, I was going to say, if you're talking about horror in the sense of like monster slash slasher movies, I would agree with you. It is not yeah, a horror movie. I mean, uh, but I'm talking. What's your take but, on that for horror? Does, do you think horror has to have the slasher or the monster or that kind of terror in it? I, I don't necessarily because I would consider um, I'm a big fan of Harlan Ellison, who does not have a lot of visceral horror in it. Uh, I think Aliens is probably a little bit more of a, of a, of a monster movie, but I think Aliens is, is definitely a horror film. Uh, I might even put Jurassic Park. Yeah, but both of those have to. those have viscerality to them. You you observe people being killed in those movies. Well, how about how about Twilight Zone? Twilight Zone it it has it has viscerality in certain episodes. It's not like grand viscerality. It's TV levels of viscerality. I, like even I, okay, Tremors, I, I, technically speaking, even though it's like comedy horror. You, you yeah. know, I I think I'm going to concede this. Uh, 
horror is a very broad genre, and I think yes. a lot of things fall under it. And while there's no gore or anything like that, that the extreme suspense of the situation and that yeah. terror of whatever's on the ship you've just docking to finding its way through your sealed hab and killing yes. you is there. You feel that. Yeah, I, I would say it was like a like a Lovecraftian like existential horror more than a direct visceral horror but i think there was definitely maybe maybe horror is the wrong word terror terror yes terror is is, is what terror this is. is a good, it's, good word or, or dread maybe yeah in a lot of like ways it actually dread. shares that same feeling as five nights at freddy's yes in, in that you're 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 from a limited perspective you can't leave you can't move but if you screw up you're dead yeah yeah, no, I, I, I think, I think that's, that's probably a closer word. And yeah, if you want to make that distinction of, of horror versus, versus dread, then I, I think maybe we may need to reclassify a lot of games, but I think this is definitely a, a dread or a terror game. Absolutely. It is a, it is a terrifying game at times. Yes. Much, much like, like I said, much like I think Subnautica, though Subnautica is definitely very visceral. Or is more visceral. You know what would be kind of a fun thing to do is to draw out a genre map where yeah. where we just like kind of map out what what branches off what from what think. and like you could have the whole horror genre and like the different branches of horror, including terror, suspense, yeah. and how they all connect. That'd be kind of a fun Cause project. Because that's, that's not the most like mind wankiest thing that somebody could come up with. Well, yeah, I mean obviously I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to make it very clear with whatever I produce for this that this is definitely mine and probably your perspective on this. Yeah. And and definitely not shouldn't shouldn't be considered a hard and fast rule. Uh, Josh and I were talking a while ago about how how frustrating it is that people try to mark games as being not games for one reason or another. And so we wouldn't want to use any kind of classification as a way of, you know, offending a game. We we love games in all their glory. I think I think it goes back to something we talked about several times in 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 the older episode in the in the archives. Is I think classification is important when it helps you expand your horizons, and I think classification is bad when it helps you uh, dismiss things. Yeah, but both um, it, dismiss things and also using it as a club against people who might have legitimate grievances against a game. Yes, absolutely. Classification should be used to help you find things you like and and sort things you like. Yeah. And it shouldn't be used to insult somebody who likes things you don't like. Agreed, completely. Yes. Okay, so I think that pretty much covers it. We didn't cover a focused mechanic on this one we covered a lot of really good mechanics is there anything uh just tying up the mechanics there's a last detail that we usually talk about is there anything uh mechanically speaking in duskers that kind of falls flat off the top of my head i can't think of anything most of the mechanics in this game are very well implemented um i think sometimes the fuel can be frustrating i think it might be a little little frustrating I find the towing mechanic and the the space in the rooms sometimes or, or direct piloting can sometimes be a little frustrating. Yeah, uh, there are there are times where you don't quite have enough space and you have to jump from one uh, drone to another, move that drone a little bit, go back to the first drone so that it can move. It. Sometimes I would the like micro it if, is fiddly. Yes, I would like it if the drones could recognize that they were too close to each other and move by themselves just a little bit, mm. um, but. 
the problem is anything that you're going to complain about this game being fiddly, like that's kind of the point. Yeah, I know. So it's, they have managed to get out of, out of a lot of those complaints that you would have for other games like this by saying, well, that's kind of what we're trying to do. Well, and, and that's the other thing is, is despite some of these little fiddly frustrations, for the most part, they aimed for fiddly and they got it without it being too frustrating. I think they, yes. they walked the line really well. It, it it never reaches the point where I said, anytime I have stopped playing, it is not because of the interface problems. It is because I've said, I'm just die- I'm just going to lose and I can't handle it and I'm just going to walk away. Right. There are times where I have felt that I have lost and it is not my fault, but it is usually because I have t- mistyped something, which is only, which is partially my fault, but partially not my fault. Okay. We'll move on to the next section. Um, so let's cover well, the overall feelings about this game. Where do you come out on this? I think I come out a little more positively than you do. I think this game is really well made, and I think uh, I think you, I think I have difficulty coming back to it. But I, I, you know, thinking about it, I want to come back and play this game more. That's sort of where I fall. I would say that of the three games like this, Cryptark, Duskers, and we haven't we didn't even mention it, but a uh, Heat Signature. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, Heat Signature. I, I would say that this is my favorite of the three. It is definitely the one that I respect the most and I think has done the most interesting things. Yeah. It is also the one that of the three, I, well, actually, it is probably one of the three that I most enjoy playing. It is just so intense and so tense that I don't want to play it very often. You kind of have to build up the desire to play it. Um, yeah. So that, uh, because it, it, it's, it's emotionally exhausting dealing it is an exhausting with that stress. Game. It's like yes. it's like watching horror a horror movie or a scary movie. You're not always in the mood for it, but um, when you're like, "Oh, I really want to, I, I really want to get into this fiddly terror box." Let's let's hop in the fiddly terror box. I was gonna say for me, it's it's a lot like Dark Souls. It's mm-hmm. a it is a game that I think about. I think a lot more than I play. But when I play it, it is what I want to play, and I know what I'm getting into. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So, would you recommend this game? I. Th- to a general audience, no. I would not recommend it to the average player. But I think if you are the kind of person who knows that this is the thing that you want, this is absolutely 100% the thing that you want. Yeah, I could see uh, certain people, a certain audience finding this game frustrating because it requires typing. Yep. It requires a lot of thinking. It's definitely not like a reflex-driven game. You have to plot your entire every move well i mean starting yes. out uh they do a really good a job of grading up the difficulty and and how challenging that is but they still do a great uh it still requires consideration and mulling and planning and plotting it's a very tactical very strategic game to play and if you're not into that kind of thinking you're just going to be overwhelmed and frustrating yeah, it, it is definitely not a mass mark. I'm actually kind of surprised that it, honestly, that it reached as, as much of an audience as it did. And I think it, smart marketing, good screenshots. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that they, they were smart about how they marketed it. They were smart about how they sold it. Um, it's at a reasonable price. But yeah, I, I think, you know, if, if you're going into this looking for a game like Dead Space, you're not going to be happy. If you're going into this looking for a game like, um, even a game like Heat Signature or Crypto, you're not going to be happy. This is for people who liked Screeps. This is for people who liked Uplink. This is for uh, people who like Zachtronics game. This is for a person who really likes to muddle over things. Yes, absolutely. 
But if you're that person, it is going to scratch that itch hard. Okay, so that's going to be it for Duskers. Thank you so much for listening to us talk about what we love about this game. We will be up again in two weeks. And we ask that in the meantime, if you liked what you heard, rate and share the show anywhere that you can think of. Use your podcasting platform of choice to rank it up for us and tell anyone you can think of about us. Thank you. Yeah, and, and seriously, rate and, and review us. If, you know, if you like us, that's great. It helps people hear more about us. If you don't like it, that's also important because it helps us improve and make it more what you want to hear. Yeah, if you don't like it, please be constructive with your criticism, but criticism is accepted. And appreciated. Thank you for listening to a Spitball Jam session. We hope you've enjoyed the show. The intro music was Friary by Kai and Gal. The outro music was Songs for Arabella by Maybe She Will. If you have any thoughts about the show, please contact us at spitballsessions.com. And tune in in a couple of weeks for our next show, the theme being Synchropause. Thanks again, and have a good night.